Hello, Mountain. Special uh, weekend to see everybody. Glad you're here. Um, hello to everyone at Edgewood and Bel Air and here at Mountain Road. Uh, if you have been living under a rock, you might not have seen the craze that's been sweeping the internet called the running man. What happened is a couple of kids uh, made up a dance to the old song, My Boo, and uh, it took off, went viral when a couple of University of Maryland basketball players uh, made a video and sent it all over and the basketball teams and NBA teams and uh, LAPD and everyone's taking the Running Man Challenge, even got on the Ellen Show, just to help you out a little bit of you culturally, pop culture behind people. I'll show you the Running Man video. Here's what it looks like. <laughs> So, so you got the idea? You ready to get up and try? So this thing went crazy. It just blew up the internet, and uh, it's a phase that's almost over. Uh, but there, I, I heard a rumor that the Running Man craze actually came to Mountain this week. And our video crew was on the spot. Would you like to see what happened this week? Go ahead. Watch it. Watch the screen here. Here we go. Boy, you should know that. You on my mind, your secret admirer. I've been Most of our staff looks like they just got electrocuted when they're trying to do the running man. But, uh, well, can we all just agree that we're glad this is a passing phase? <laughs> Soon we won't have to see any more running man. So that's really what the whole series is called. It, it's just a phase, uh, so don't miss it. But it's a reminder that, you know, uh, all of our life is kind of one's, one sort of phase connected to another, and before long your life is done, but it's a, it's a connection of phases, and everyone around you is going through a certain stage in life. And so as a community together, we're looking at all of these different phases and stages. Psalm 90 says, Lord, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We want to be wise about what stage we're in so we don't miss all that God would have for us, and also... Every week that we're looking at is for everybody. Uh, we'll be looking at parenting of different stages and ages and young kids and old kids, millennials, singles, marrieds, moms, dads, and last week, old folks. And, uh, and just a little bit of everything for everyone because we want to gain a heart of wisdom about what, um, 
the stage we're in and the people that we care about, what they're going through and what the Bible really has to say about it. Now this week we're going to be looking at kids, especially thinking about early childhood, those all-important formative years, and I think we can all agree that it, it can be, I think it feels like just a tough world to, to be a kid and to raise a kid today. I thought of this picture when I thought of kids today. Here's a picture of what it looks like, I think, to be a kid today. This kid out in the middle of that traffic, there's, there's like real dangers here. Kid wants to just be a kid and do kid things, and yet the world that a kid is thrust into, man, it's a big world, and they're made to grow up too fast. And uh, how do we equip them? How do we, how do we make them strong? I mean, this next picture kind of pictures how we want our kids to be. Sort of strong in the faith, right? Strong, strong in life. Be able to stand up especially spiritually. I mean, let's, we're a church. Let's talk about it. And if we're going to get our kids to stand on their own two feet spiritually and to be strong in the most important ways, we're going to need lots of hands helping them. This next picture kind of pictures that. This idea of just to get on their own two feet your kid and my kid needs a lot of hands in the game. So we're going to talk about how uncles, aunts, grandparents, old people, young people, millennials, parents, teachers, coaches, everyone together has got to get a hand on this so kids can find their feet. And it's not always easy to do all this. And the fact is, I think we're all well aware that this is just a hard time to raise kids who know and love and stay with God. Data is telling us that each succeeding generation is tending to drift further away from God. Of kids who grow up in the church, in the typical church in America, I'm thankful Mountain is not a typical church, but the fact is the typical kid who grows up in a church, about 70 or 80 percent of them eventually run, get on the, you know, run into something that leads them to say, I just can't do this. This faith is not mine. It's not for me. And they walk away. And that... I think just reminds us, man, something, we've got to do something. And maybe what we've been doing isn't enough. Speaking of kids, um, Luke Erickson is finally home, and that family is finally re reunited, and uh, Jai and Trey are here, and soon they're going to be, be official Ericsons, and just looking at that family, that happy reunion that they had, I just think that just is a reminder, okay, so now I'm thinking if I'm Luke and Holly, I'm like, okay, the clock just started, let's pour into these kids and see what we can do uh, with them in their life, and you know, every, you maybe seen something like this before, this is a big old jar of marbles, you know how many marbles are in here? 936. Because what it represents is from the time a child is born, if they live with you in your home until they leave your primary influence at age 18, let's just say that. You have lots of influence after 18, but let me tell you, it all changes. And so from the time they're born to they're 18, you have 936 weeks. Let's just call it 1,000. And you remember that first week when your kid is born? My goodness, oh, it's so, such a precious week. But then those five days go by, and you figure it out, and you get home, and then it's gone. That week is gone. You never get it back. Now, the next week is just as fascinating, but it's gone. And then the third week, you know what happens is these kids continue to grow, don't they? And then all of a sudden the fourth week, fifth week, and the weeks just begin to roll by. Isn't that the, isn't that the truth? And once they get out of the jar, you never get them back, do you? You never do. 
And then as they get older, they begin to roll over, and then another week passes, and then grandparents are in the picture, and then you see this thing, and then that beautiful moment comes when they start to say, Dad, Dad. That's always what our kids said first, Dad, 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 Dad. But then those weeks pass by, and then that beautiful moment that every parent waits for, the weeks go by, and finally it comes, the child says, Go Vikings. But that weekend is by, and you never get it back, and the weeks just keep rolling, and before you know it, you've got a kid going to kindergarten. And before you know it, they're in third grade. And before you know it, fourth grade, fifth grade. Now they're in middle school. Oh, my goodness. What happened? And then you know what happens? They just keep flying by. You're talking to a person who knows what I'm talking about. You know what? Then, then middle school, and then it just happens like this. It just happens like this. Until you get down to the very end. Oh. Don't forget prom. Don't forget senior year. Don't forget the yearbook. Don't forget... Oh, and then there's a gown. And then they're gone. Now you're talking to a man who's lost his marbles. I know, I know of what I speak. I got a kid 17, 18, and 21. And if you have kids that you care about, you're losing your marbles too, in more than one way. So the question is, how many marbles you got? And how many ever you got, what are you going to do with them? Because it's time for us to figure out how to help kids get what matters most. We've got to make what matters matter more with whatever marbles you got in your jar. In, in your Bibles, in Deuteronomy, there's this passage that's so relevant for what we're talking about here. Um, the people of God, children of Israel, uh, have just come through a time where you know, they had lived in, in captivity and all this stuff, and then God rescued them and came through for them and helped them rebuild their faith and helped them reclaim their homeland, and now they're on the verge. They're ready to roll on in to the promised land. It's a great moment, but then they hear rumors that their leader Moses is stepping down. Can it be true? I mean, he's their hero, and it's like it's all true. And he stands up to give a farewell speech, and what he says is... Don't forget what God has done. Don't forget your God and whatever you do, for heaven's sakes, when you go to that beautiful new place and that scary new place you're going to, pass the faith along to your kids. And this just could not read more relevantly for people like us who are losing our marbles and trying to figure out how to have our kids hang on to what matters most in uncertain times with a future in a world like we live in. Deuteronomy 6. Follow along here, if you will. Deuteronomy, Old Testament, chapter 6. The, this is Moses talking now to the people of God. These are the commands then, the decrees and the laws of the Lord that your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, your children, and their children Children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all His decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy a long life. Isn't that what we want? We want you to have a good life and your kids to have a good life and have God in the center of it. That's it. Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Huge concern to pass along the right stuff. My daughter, I've been telling you in recent weeks, is running a track. She ran yesterday again, and she ran the 4x200 relay. And, you know, when you run the relay, it's good to run fast, but 
what's the most important part of a relay? <laughs> it's handing off the baton. So it doesn't matter if you run your leg well, if you didn't get the baton. It doesn't matter if you come around the home stretch and you look, you look great in your form, but you don't have the baton in your hand. And if you don't get the baton handed off, that really is the qualifier of success. And this is, I think, a fair analogy. A lot of parents today have gotten distracted from what's really important. It's a relay race. We're running our own race. We're worried about our own success. We're worried about our own lives. And, and sometimes failing to realize that what... In all the things we want for our kids, the most important thing to put in their hands is the baton of faith. And at the end of the day, it's true, your kid can take it or leave it, but it's your job to hold it out there in a way that's contagious and makes every kid say, that's something that I would want. Every parent thinks about, man, what kind of inheritance can I leave my kid? Am I going to set them up well in life? And most of us feel like, well, probably not so much, you know, but maybe some of us feel like we can, but all that's immaterial. Most of us aren't going to give our kids a lavish inheritance, but every parent is going to leave their kids some legacy. An inheritance is what you leave for your kids. A legacy is what you leave in your kids. And we're talking about a spiritual legacy. Reggie Joyner says it this way. What we give to our children or what we do for our children, this is where everyone talks about. What am I going to give for them? How am I going to provide them? What am I going to do for them? You know, that's not as important as what we leave in them when we're talking about a legacy of faith. So as we're hurrying around with our crazy schedules and getting them tutors and after-school care and coaches and experiences and getting them socially adept and the right academic preparations and so they can dance well and play soccer well and learn the flute and ride a horse and learn to ski and throw a ball and hit harder and do better than other kids and all of that stuff in our efforts to help our kids succeed at life, let's not overlook the importance of, first of all, just helping them learn to live And don't forget to prepare them for the next life. And Jesus said it rather starkly in Matthew 16. He says, what good does it do for a person to gain the whole world and in the process lose their soul? I mean, it doesn't matter if your kid lives in the land flowing with milk and honey if they, they don't know God. Come around the home stretch, you want the baton in the hand. The right school, the SAT scores and having a good job, if they don't know God and have a real living, moving relationship with Him. And so, the word comes here from the text. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. One God that is to trump everything and be at the center of our lives and that's the kind of thing that will help a kid get it when you live as if God is the most important thing in our lives. Because listen, it doesn't matter what your kids know if they don't know what matters. It doesn't matter what they know if they don't know what matters most. So how do we help our kids figure out, wow, raising kids is kind of dicey. You can, you can hurt yourself. How do we help our kids um, stick to what matters most and Pass on the baton of faith. Well, let's get to it. Let's talk about it. As we go back to this text that we're looking at today in, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, I tell you, there's, there's, um, there's so much here that I think can help us. Let me read for you um, one more time then Deuteronomy 6 chapter 4, uh, excuse me, chapter 6 verse 4 through 9. Here we go. Hear, O Israel... 
The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Verse 6, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Let me give you some encouragement about how this can apply to our situation today to pass that baton of faith, okay? Number one, I would say this is teaching us to be invested. This is a good word for grandparents. It's a good word for uncles and aunts who have a kid in their life. If you have a neighbor kid, if you are a coach, you're a teacher, or you're a parent, be invested. Especially parents, be, in, be invested. Now, <clears throat> a lot of times we have to talk about the difference between being interested or even being involved and truly invested. Interested, you know, every, every parent I talk to is interested in having their kid have good moral values or good, you know, some of us say, well, I don't want my kid to have a Christian foundation, this kind of thing. But being interested isn't enough. I mean, I, you know, a kid's interested in a girl. That doesn't, make, that doesn't make that girl like him. I'm interested in the Vikings winning the Super Bowl. Well, that doesn't seem to matter a lot so far. So some move beyond being interested to being involved. And this is a good start, perhaps. You know, I bring my kids to church or, or I, I begin to take some beginning steps to sort of encourage them in a spiritual life of some kind. But what we're, what's really needed and one of the key ingredients is when a parent and family becomes truly invested. When you invest in something, you, you, um, you put something into it. It's going to cost you something, but you believe it's worth it because of the payback, the return on your investment. And so you invest in your priorities in life in the same way. And so the way you invest in a kid's spiritual life is by letting God lead you in your own spiritual life. That's how you invest in a kid. Isn't that interesting? You think, well, that's going to cost me something. Exactly. But it's the best investment you can make in a kid. Take responsibility for your own life with God. Commit yourself to a relationship with God that will lead you someplace you've never been and that will help lead your kid where you want him or her to go. Your life is like a textbook of spiritual growth for your kids and they're looking and watching and you, you invest in them by doing whatever you can to live your own life of faith before God. Verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 4 and 5 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all of your strength. Before he ever talks about passing the faith on to kids, he talks first of all to the adults, the grandparents, the uncles, the aunts, and everybody else. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. He says, verse 6, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts before he ever talks about kids. Oh, same, same kind of part of scripture over in chapter 4, verse 9, says this, be careful then, watch yourselves closely. We're always like watching our kids, seeing how they're doing. Well, why? He says, watch yourself closely. And don't forget the things that your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Let God do something in your life. You have a story to tell. And don't forget the Lord. Then, then teach it to your kids. The question we're, we, we want to be asking is, how can I get my kid to believe in God? And how can I get my kid to obey and trust God? And the question I need to begin with is, do I believe in God? Do I trust God? Do I obey God? Do I love the Lord with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my strength? 
Am I invested? I want a church to have a good children's ministry, a good student ministry, good middle school, high school thing. That's true, yes, but you know what? The best student children's ministry, especially when we're talking about early elementary today, is not parents who are perfect, but parents who are moving in a direction toward God, who have come to somehow have a relationship with Christ, and that, my friends, is contagious. So we can say with the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, where he says to, young Tim, to others, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Let them see you pray for stuff that bothers you. Let them see you ask for patience. Let them see you thank God for blessings in your own life. Let them see you struggle with decisions that are hard. Let them see you make family plans based on your commitment to God. Because in the end of the day, most of what our kids get from us is caught more than taught. And the question is, in faith, what are they going to catch? Now, when we begin to talk about investing in our own life in Christ, most of us feel sort of overwhelmed and outclassed, like, oh my gosh, now this just got hard, or I'm not perfect. Uh, Jim Gaffigan talks about parenting itself is hard enough. He says, sometimes I feel totally unqualified to be a parent. And he says, I call those times being awake. It can be overwhelming every day to feel like, oh my goodness, especially now you add in this spiritual thing. And here's what happens. I just want to encourage you. Don't get gun shy. Don't pull back and say, well, that does it. You know, I can't be this perfect spiritual role model for my kids. I'm, I'm not that together. I have so many flaws. I can't be a spiritual guide. I wouldn't want to be a hypocrite. So we kind of freeze up and we just settle for this mediocre spiritual thing. And I would just say, stop saying that. Stop thinking like that. First of all, here's the main reason. It's a cop-out. And it misses the main point. It, it sort of like fuels you to be spiritually lazy. Kids are one of God's gifts to us to help us see how important it is that we grow. Don't miss it. Right? Like the young girl who said to her dad, Dad, I want you to stop drinking. I'm afraid you're not going to be there for me at my wedding. I want you to be there as a granddad. I need you to stop drinking. It wrecked him. He was mad and he was angry, but then it motivated him. And he finally was able to do what he'd wanted to do so long anyway, which he didn't think he could. But he finally was able to get clean and sober and become the kind of person his daughter needed him to be, which is exactly what God wanted him to be. It's the same thing spiritually. Sometimes we're like, well, that just makes me mad or sad. I'm going to run away from this challenge that raising a godly kid requires. But listen, that's your best ally to have God make the changes in your life that you need and want to make anyway. Does that make sense? You don't have to be an A-plus a Christian parent. Your, your family's going to have all this stuff, and there's no perfect Christian families out there. You know, We're all kind of dysfunctional in our own ways. Open the Bible, the first, Adam and Eve, how'd they do? Well, other than one kid killing the other and infecting the whole human race with sin, they we're off to a great start. And pretty much every family in the Bible has been just as screwed up. There are no perfect examples, and you don't have to be a perfect example. You just need to be someone who's committed to Jesus to try to just learn to grow forward. When you fall on your face, you get up and you try it again, and you just let your kids see all that. Don't worry that you don't know the Bible enough or you're not a perfect replica of Jesus. Trust me, God is at work in imperfect families because to date that's the only kind he can find. And your family's just as good as anyone else to, to sort of have God be a, a test case. Here, don't worry about giving God perfection. What he's more interested in is your direction. Let me say that again. 
Don't worry about giving God perfection. What he's most interested in is your direction. Can you just stumble and take a step toward him? You don't have to be perfect. In fact, your investment in your own life and faith will not only help your child, it'll be, it'll be the thing that you want and need. Personal investment in your faith. Second, I would say, I would say, be intentional. Be intentional. In other words, on purpose, for every moment, every marble that you have. You know, in a basketball game, we're in basketball NBA finals right now, a lot of times what you see is they kind of start the game kind of slow and nonchalant. But when we get down to the end of the game and the clock is winding down and ticking out, we, people are like, oh, we better hurry. And they start calling timeouts, and now every play matters. They're drawing it up. So they're gonna try. But you know what? When you're behind by 40 points with 20 seconds left, you can't make that up. It's the same in parenting. When you come and your kid is 17, you're going, okay, now let's just call a timeout. And let's try to pour all this spiritual stuff into their life. It doesn't work that way. So be intentional with every marble that you have now. If you want your kid to be the kind of kid when they're 18 who loves you, who has respect for others, who is confident in themselves, who has some kind of relationship with God, is understands the basic truths of the Bible. If you want that to be true at 18, it starts in early childhood. Just like I have to ask, what kind of old man do I want to be? Well, guess what? That starts now in my youthfulness. Well, what kind of 18-year-old do you want? If you want them, someone with a spiritual baton in their hand, then you've got to be intentional when they start their race. And we've got to emphasize how important it is that this happen in the home. You know, sometimes we tend to think, you know, let's just get the kids over to the church and let them kind of handle, we'll outsource the spiritual stuff. Well, you know, you know um, if you brought your kids 40 weekends a year, and I hope some of you bring them more, and there's lots of retreats and other things that would add up, but if you just brought them 40 weekends a year and we had them for an hour, that's 40 hours a year. Compared to a home, a typical home might be three, four, five thousand hours. 40 hours, 3,000 hours. Who has the greater opportunity for influence in a child's life? So yeah, we're going to make the most of everything we can do here on the weekends and in other places. But look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7. It says this, Impress these things then on your children. Impress them. It's a word that literally means to make a stamp, a permanent, like a, you know, go ahead and brand your kid. Talk to them. When? Well, when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. See the intentionality? Here's a moment, I'll seize that. I'm in the car, I'm at, I'm at the bedside, we'll seize those moments. Tie them as symbols on your hands, buy them on your foreheads, write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. Seize teachable moments. Don't compartmentalize your faith into this little Sunday thing you get in the car and go do. No, make it all of your life and be intentional. Talk about that TV program or the commercial that's laden with all kind of questionable values and just talk about it at bedtime, in car time. Plan when you're going to read the Bible together as a family in the routine of life. Now, just remember, it's so much more important what happens in the home, okay? Now, let's also partner, like we talk around here, is think orange. You know, think yellow, the bright light of the church, red, the, the red love of the home, and the two go together. We've got to think orange. We need both. What happens here uh, in the church is, here's, what's, here's what I want you to hang on to, is you can widen the circle of influence for your kids. Turns out, statistically, and all the research is showing, the most important thing you can ever do for your kid, other than what you just pour into them, is widen the circle. In other words, show me another adult or two 
Most kids need five good, responsible adults in their lives to give them the best shot at life. But spiritually speaking, widen the circle means even one other person who knows your kid and is helping to invest in them spiritually will astronomically increase their odds of hanging in there in the faith with a baton in their hand. So how are you going to widen that circle where you're going to engage them deeply with other godly adults and let your kids be influenced by others who love God and love your kids? I want to encourage you um, to widen your circle by just doing everything you can to invest in the ministries that Mountain provides for kids, especially early childhood. I, I don't want to have another conversation with a 17-year-old you know, who comes up there and his parents got it, came dragging him by the ear and saying, can you fix him? Because we didn't do anything now when they were here. We, we let all the marbles go out of the jar. But now we want to try to figure out how to do the spiritual thing. And if I can just say, some of you just need permission to know it's okay to bring your kids to church. When you're in early childhood, you're helping them understand what's important. You don't say when they say, I don't want to go to school today, okay, dearie, let's just stay home. When they don't want to go to the dentist, you say, okay, dearie, we're never going to go again because I wouldn't want you to feel forced. I wouldn't want you to have a negative view of school, so I'm not going to make you. No, you wouldn't do that. So you've got to help your kid know what's important. And, and if you were dragging your kid to some four-hour Latin mass where they had to sit on pins and needles, okay. But you know what? They're going to get here. They're going to see it's an amazing, exciting program. And uh, so I would say, if you need permission, I'm giving you permission right now. It's okay to make your kids go to church when they're little. It's not going to warp them or kill them. In fact, you're going to raise them up in the way they should go so they can make that decision when they're older. So we've got to work together on this. And there's a ton of stuff I hope you know about that we do in ministry here at Mountain for Kids, and it's all really, really important. And uh, let me just tell you also, some of you are like, you know, how can I help with this? I don't have a grandkid right now, or our kids are gone, or, or I don't feel like I have an opportunity to influence. You know what? Uh, I need some of you folks who have said mentally, I did my time with kids. I need some of you to re-engage with kids. I need some of you who have kids that are growing up to engage with ministry here at Mountain for Kids because you're going to be right in the heart of what's going on. You're going to know what's happening. And right now, Mountain Kids is grown by leaps and bounds. This year alone, we've grown 22%. We're busting at the seams. We're adding all these new classes and areas. We need 30 new leaders just in preschool. 30 new. Maybe some of you can help. Uh, we're going to start a new worship for our preteens uh, in the fall. We need 30 new leaders for that. Mount 54 has all these people that are, that are loving their kids so much, they're going to graduate up into, into Echo and middle school with them. And we have 12 openings there that we need to fill in Mount 54 for 4th and 5th graders. And at the 505 services, Saturday and Sunday, they're growing like gangbusters. We need help there. Those are ways that you can jump in and invest and be intentional. Let's go on uh, and let me just share a couple more here out of this passage. Um, you look at verse 5, what you see is this. Go internal. This is so important. Go internal. When we're talking about early, early childhood with kids, look at verse 5. It says this. Love the Lord your God with what? All of your, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, your mind. Yes. This is the first time that this idea was rolled out when you see it here in Deuteronomy. Jesus liked it so much he picked up on it and it was his answer when he was asked, what's the most important thing in all of the Bible? The Old, the Old Testament, he quoted this verse. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Soul, that, those are interior things, aren't they? 
And that's the most important stuff. Remember, this is Moses now. He, this is the same guy who just prior to this, he's come down. In fact, you just flip back a page, you can see him. He comes down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments. These are rules, right, we think of? We think of them as laws, as if external compliance to the laws was the whole thing. They're repeated right here, but immediately after the Ten Commandments, to make sure we don't think of it that way, we get this phrase, love God. This is what separates dead, formal, lifeless, ritual-laden, uh, uh, just kind of outwardly participating religion from a living, vibrant connection in a relationship to the loving God that, that calls us. And that's what we want for our lives and for our kids. And that has to be the main message to our families. Love. Not external compliance, but internal allegiance. Not external outward behavior, but internal attachment. That's what we're talking about, a relationship. We're not after getting kids to follow rules. I mean, that may be easier for you in the short run on a certain day, but you're really after an authentic relationship with God. Where they talk with Him, where they sense His presence, where they lean on His own understanding instead of their own, where they live under the umbrella of His grace, they begin to see the world through that lens, where the, when they head in their trike down the busy street of life, they're going to know I'm God's child no matter what comes. And you don't get that by getting kids to follow rules. The command is not to follow the rules. Verse 5 says, Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God's main desire is not that you would do what I say. God's main desire is not that you would follow my rules. God's main desire is that you would love me. And he says to these people, as you get ready to send them off into this new land, just make sure you get one thing straight. Just love me with all of your heart. So you get ready to send your kids at whatever stage and how many marbles you've got, make sure they get that's the main thing, the internal matter of the heart. Because if you just settle for getting them to act a certain way, you just settle for a bunch of rules, you're going to end up with an empty religion. And listen, rules without relationship always only leads to one of two places, to a robot or a rebel. Let me say it again. Rules without relationship will create a robot who just mindlessly just does it with no heart in it or a rebel who says, I don't need this, and they walk away. Fight for the heart of your kid. Be invested. Be intentional. Go internal. And finally, let me just give you permission to be inventive. Be creative. Don't worry about doing it wrong. You just think of all the ways that you can to introduce God into your life, into your family, and be creative. We used to read a chapter of Scripture around um, the table at our dinner table when I was a kid, and when our kids were younger, we did the same. Maybe you want to get the Bible app and have your family read the same little reading plan, a short little plan as they get older. As they get ready to head out the door, put your hand on their head and just bless them. What can I pray for you today? Or I know you have a test. You're bringing God into their mindset and blessing and praying over them. 
serve together. Sign up for Second Saturday, serve, and go show up and go rake some leaves or help someone around town. Make bedtimes important, God times, so they're resting in the arms of God. Make vacation a time you don't leave God behind. Go, go visit a church on vacation or, or around the campfire. You know, say, let's think of ten things we can thank God for. One family, they always just say, we say, who are you going to invite? And they're helping their kids learn to invite. They're helping their kids learn to tithe and to give. They're helping their kids learn to thank. And they have a blessing jar. Another family has a holy, uh, a fruit of the spirit jar. What is it going to be that you're going to use to be inventive, creative, to bring God into the family in the center of your heart, center of your life, so your kids in early childhood will learn to be the kind of person that we all would hope they would be when they're 18, which is another phase, which we'll talk about later. And just remember that the whole thing is covered by God's grace. None of us is perfect. None of us have these great families, really. And at the end of the day, a kid's going to choose to do what they want to do. But let's do everything we can to at least hold out a baton that looks like something they'd want to grab a hold of. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the time that we have been given with any kids in our lives. We are um, we're wanting to use that time as well as we know how. And we pray that you'll give us the courage to do the same thing the children of Israel did, and that is to put you first, and then to pass the baton of faith on. We pray for our kids. We pray for the ministries of this church. We pray for the homes. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.